0: You know, the government government has a whole committee called the Ways and Means Committee. I think they're lost too. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a time that lasted a thousand years when Rome ruled a large portion of the Mediterranean from Africa all the way up through England um, from Spain all the way to um, would be modern day Iraq and they controlled all of that when that empire died it was replaced for another thousand years by the Byzantine Empire which was a little smaller but there was a saying back then when Rome was at the height of its glory and power, that all roads lead to Rome. We have a similar saying today. Um, Well, first of all, all roads didn't lead to Rome. There were a lot of roads other places. Uh, They had roads in China um, that didn't lead to Rome. But that's what they thought. In their pride and in their arrogance... All roads lead to Rome. And Luke was right. It depended on which way you were traveling on that road, whether you would end up in Rome or not. <laughs> but all the roads didn't lead there, they just thought it did. We have another saying these days you know, um, there's a lot of different ways to get to heaven. All religions lead to heaven. And that's as false as the first statement. Uh, that's not true. So what kind, of, uh, what kind of roads do we think lead us to heaven? Well, if you're a Hindu or Muslim or New Age or some other religion, it would depend on how you answered that question. But even the Bible offers several different ways, uh, doesn't it? Or people who thought they were different ways. In the Garden of Eden, for instance, you remember you had Adam and Eve in the garden, and... God had told them specifically, this is the way to walk with me. This is the way to have a full life while you're here. They decided there was a a different way. And he had told them, if you don't go this way, the, the way that you are going to choose will end in death. So the serpent comes, and the serpent says, no, that's not true. It won't really end in death. I mean, after all, how will you really know unless you try? And that's been used ever since, hasn't it? <laughs> how do you know you don't like it? Have you tried it? No. Um, haven't committed suicide either, but I don't think I want to try that to find out whether it's true or not. But that's basically what they did, isn't it? By choosing a different way. So they chose to go their own way the way that was suggested, and the way that they knew where the end would be because God had told them that. So they decided to trust themselves and their new counselor, the serpent, and they tried a different road in in destruction. Later on, people had gotten so used to going their own way that what took place on a worldwide scale at that time was that things were becoming more and more corrupt and increasingly perverted and increasingly violent. And so much so that God decided, I need to wipe these people out and start afresh. And it seems like in the history of the world, we are slow learners. We just don't get it. And we do it over and over and over again. So because of violence and because of corruption... God decided to destroy the earth and so we look around us today and any newscast will be filled with those things corruption, pollution perversions of different kind and increasing violence so they had chosen their own way and it ended in a flood interesting God had provided a way they had this ark that Noah was building and The animals came, but the people didn't because they had a better way. They wanted to go their own way. So the rains came and the floods started coming and still they decided to go their own way. And so they're climbing up the mountains and the hills trying to get on anything tall and they're going their own way. And they ended in death. Not too long after that, people had gotten together and they had a population explosion again and there were many, many people. And because they all had the same ancestors, they all spoke a common language and had the same culture. And so they decided, they found out that they could do a lot of things if they worked together. And they got so enamored with what they could do that they had forgotten what God can do. And so they had the commands of God it was the same command that he had given Adam and Eve at the beginning be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and to subdue it that's what God told Adam and Eve that's what he told people after Noah's flood I want you to go out, scatter, fill the earth take charge of it they had a better idea they wanted to go their own way no, we're, we're tired of moving we don't want to go anywhere let's stay right here well, what about the commands of God? No, I don't care. I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going anywhere else. And, you know, we can get together and look at all the neat things that we can do. Look at all the new inventions. Look at all the latest technology. And we're doing all right. We're doing pretty good. Matter of fact, why do we need God? I mean, we've got all the modern conveniences here. Um, we're, we're doing good. We can build a tower to our own, a monument to our own intelligence and abilities, our own gifts, our own uh, inventiveness, forgetting who had endowed them and given them those gifts to start with. So they built a tower and it was going to be to the glory of man. Sounds like humanism, doesn't it? We forget. So they're building this great tower and God, it was, it was just that He just laughed. It was a simple thing. All He did was confuse their language, and the whole thing fell apart. And so we're filled with all of these different ideas, uh, different ways that we want to go. And the fact of the matter is that all roads don't lead to Rome, and all religions don't end up with God. The truth of the matter is, only one ends up with the reality that we're looking for. Well, people, even in the New Testament, decided to go their own way. A man by, and the Old Testament as well, a man by the name of Job, who God says on a couple of occasions, Job is the most righteous man in the whole earth. And he was God-fearing man, tried to build his life around God, uh, made his family centered around God, honored God with his wealth and with his possessions, and a faithful man. And everything just fell apart for him. His whole life uh, was shattered. And he didn't understand why, and the culture that he lived in was telling him, "If you do good things, then you will be blessed, and the blessing looks like money and cattle." And land and nice cars and boats and houses and, you know, that's what blessings of God looks like. And if you do right, those things will be yours. Sounds like uh, prosperity preachers to me. And Job was standing there and God himself was saying, this is the most righteous man in all the earth. And he lost everything. He lost all of his possessions. It was worse than the stock market in the Great Depression. He went to bed one night and he was a very, very wealthy, powerful, influential man. And he woke up the next morning and he was a pauper. He had nothing. Everything was gone. His family, his children had all died in a horrible catastrophe. They all died at once and he had a large family. And they were all wiped out. And he didn't know why. And he didn't understand what was happening to him. And... You know, people always say, well, cheer up. Things can get worse. And if you cheer up, probably things will get worse. <laughs> so, but that's what happened to Job. Um, he committed himself to God, and he said, God has given me all of these things, and he is taking it away. And he fell down before God and worshipped. It's an incredible, incredible act of faith on this man's part. His first response when he had lost absolutely everything, was worship. He was a righteous man. Then his health failed. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet, just covered with festering, oozing, open, stinky, smelly sores. And he didn't know why. (coughs) And still, he makes a statement. Though God kills me, I'm going to trust him. And when I die, I'll die in faith. He was a righteous man. And that was his problem. As, he, as the illness that he had, as the sores didn't cease, his close friends came around him to help him. And they sat, they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. And they sat down next to him, And they sat astonished, not saying a word for seven days. They were just overwhelmed with the shock of what had happened to this man, their close friend. And after the seven days, they said, Job, let us give you some advice. And he said, fine. You need to repent of all your sins. (laughs) Job said, I've already done that. What else is there? Oh, you've got to do something's wrong somewhere. You really messed up somewhere. Just confess it. Come on. And Job says, well, I'm looking and I'm, I don't see any. I don't know what else I can confess. Oh, there's got to be something. Look at what's happened to you. These things don't happen for no reason without cause. So if all this catastrophe has happened, you must have really messed up somewhere. And Job searched and searched, and he couldn't find anything. And he got to the place, and this happens when you're ill for long periods of time. You begin to get despair, and he wished that he was dead, and then he says, God, this is not fair. And after a while, it went from God, this is not fair, to God, you... Are not fair And that's what the problem was. And so God says, "Wait a minute, are you willing to condemn me to justify yourself?" It kind of look that way. <laughs> so job's righteousness had got in the way. Um, and you'll find God's response, just a couple of questions, in Job 32:1. It says, so these three men, the three friends who had come, stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Elihu, son of Barakal, the Bezite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him anyway. Well, You got a lot of good arguments and we can't answer that, but you're still wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where, but you're wrong somewhere because otherwise these bad things wouldn't be happening to you. So I'm right and you're wrong. That's the end of it. (laughs) And then in Job chapter 40, verse 8, God asks the question, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And that's where Job had ended up because... In his own eyes and in the eyes of God, he was a righteous man, but he began to trust his righteousness more than he trusted God, and that's sin. That is sin. I think many people in the church today are in that place of Job, um, They've done everything they know to get right with the Lord, walking with the Lord. And then when we do that, we begin to trust our own righteousness more than we trust God. And that's a dangerous place to be. The way it looks is in Luke chapter 18. This is what it looks like. We're starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. Notice what the parable is addressing. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. That's the content of his prayer. He's praying about himself. What do you pray for when you pray? Is it always about yourself? I started thinking about my prayers and I found out I'm in good company. Many of my prayers are about myself what I want, what I need, what I hope, what I fear. So he's praying about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. God, you're very fortunate to have me around. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I was thinking about that um, this morning. I'm in a quiet time this morning. And I came across Psalm 26. Now remember the prayer of the Pharisee. This is David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. That's David. I read that this morning and I thought, he's not a whole lot different than the Pharisee. This, I think was early in David's life earlier later on when he begins to realize who he is and what he's done and the greatness of the sin within his own heart then he's crying out to God for mercy forgive me, cleanse me don't take your Holy Spirit from me renew a right spirit within me, broken heart contrite spirit O God surely you won't cast me away that's a different man. That's a different man praying a different prayer. So works righteousness, right sacrifices, these things appear right. One of the disturbing things for me is that if you read through the book of Proverbs five times, five in Proverbs it's going to tell us some advice I'm going to take them in order that they appear in the book of Proverbs here Proverbs 12, 15 the way of the fool seems right to him but a wise man listens to advice Okay, see if you can catch the, the main theme going through these verses the way of the fool seems right to him Proverbs 14, 12 there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 16.2 All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 16.25 There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs twenty one two all a man's ways seem right to him but the Lord weighs the heart so what's the common theme (laughs) there are ways that seem right (laughs) and they should be right and it looks innocent to me but not really if I'm really honest with myself it's not so innocent but it seems right and so, you know, Luke was over here, and he was lost, didn't know where he was going. And if you don't know where you're going, it's hard to know when you get there. Um, I get lost all the time. <laughs> and I uh, used to travel with my, with my good friend, Moshe. He was an, he's an African. Um, he, was a, he was my boss and my landlord and everything else, a good friend. He's, he's passed away now. But he, um, I would travel with him, go to different meetings, and uh, he would drive because he knows Africa better than me. So he didn't have any, any better clue than me. We'd always end up where we were supposed to be, but neither one of us had an idea about how we got there. We would, we would get lost, and it was, it was just fun traveling with Moshe. <laughs> it's always an adventure. And um, he knew everybody, and he, it just wasn't a problem. And he'd get off, and we'd visit with these people and have a great time with them. Eventually we get where we're going. But at least we knew where we were going. So there's a way that seems right, but it doesn't always end where we want it to. Five times it tells us that. So the problem comes in Isaiah 53:6. It's a passage that's familiar to us. All we like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him that's Jesus the iniquity of us all so I find myself walking in one of these five proverbs uh, a way that seems right and yet it it leads me someplace that I don't want to go the interesting thing in the New Testament, when it starts talking about Jesus, in John 14, 6, which is what Luke was sharing with us just a minute ago, Jesus is saying, Well, I'm getting ready to go away, and um, it's okay. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says, Wait a minute. I don't know where you're going, so how can I know the way? I'm not sure. You're getting ready to leave. He was telling them about the crucifixion, and the disciples, still at this late date, they're in the upper room, they still don't get it. Um, if somebody is trying to tell us something that we don't want to hear, oftentimes it creates misunderstanding. It's a defense mechanism for us. I don't want to hear that. Uh, you know, the doctor comes in and he says, "You're going to die." I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That's not true. I, 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 I'm doing all right. I'm going to be all right. I don't want to hear that. We may not want to hear it, <laughs> but we may not have a whole lot to say in the matter, right? So the disciples, for whatever reason, they just they just didn't get it. so he says Lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and Jesus said I am the way I'm the truth I'm the life no one can come to the father except through me Thomas did you hear that no one can come to the father except through me all roads don't lead to Rome and all religions don't get us to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are two things that make Christianity unacceptable today one is the preaching of the cross. Nobody wants to hear sacrifice or commitment, preaching of the cross. And the second one is the exclusiveness of Christianity. Christianity would not be persecuted if they would just chill out a little bit. You know, do like the Hindus. You've got a whole list of gods and you've got a new one? Okay, we'll just add them to the list. No big deal. We can all be friends. No, you can't. Because there's a way that seems right unto a man and if you follow it, you will end up in death. Five times. It tells you five times times it repeats it in that one book. So John 14:6 No one comes to the Father but by me. John 3:36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't, God's wrath is on you. There is only one way to the cross, to the Christ, through Christ to God. 1 John, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony, God's testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. you got something else. And it will end in eternal death. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's God the Father's testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. One God, one mediator. His name is Jesus. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12. It's taken from a sermon. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Jesus is standing, uh, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, the same group that just a few weeks earlier had condemned Jesus to the cross. And Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So, did you catch what just happened? Five times, there is a way that seems right unto a man and ends in death. Five times in the New Testament, there is only one way. Five times. His name is Jesus. We get to choose the direction that we go and the path that we want to take. It involves the offensiveness of the cross. It involves the offensiveness of Jesus is the only way. But if we want life, whether we're talking about heaven or the meaning and purpose and direction in our life today, it's Jesus and only Jesus he is the way he is the truth and he is the life so Peter tells us 1 Peter chapter 2 he's talking about um, what do we do when the persecution comes how do we live And he says we need to follow the example of Jesus because he is the way. He's the truth. His way leads to life. And all the others end in death. Verses 21 through 25. To this you were called. He's talking about context is suffering for doing good. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not, did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no, that's no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. John, 1 John chapter 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. And so there's a way, that seems right, but it ends in death. There is a way that's embodied in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, when he came back from the temptation, he came back in the power of the Spirit. And he went down to the River Jordan, where he had been baptized um, a couple months earlier by John. And a couple of John's disciples were there and John sees Jesus and Jesus, who Jesus was, even though he was his cousin, uh, revealed God revealed to John that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed, the Son of God, when he baptized him. And so Jesus comes back out of the wilderness and he's, John's talking to some of his disciples and he said, look, look over there. See that guy? That guy... Is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away the sins of the world. So, these guys looked at each other and said, "We need to follow him. We need all the help we can get." <laughs> so they went over there, and uh, Jesus turns around and these two guys come up to him and they said, "Rabbi, where are you? Where are you staying? Where do you live?" He didn't give him an address. He didn't give him a location. He didn't give him a map. What he said was, Come with me. I'll show you. He is the way. And what he offers us is not a location. He offers us, like he offered these two men, a relationship. And in that relationship, then we discover. The direction our lives need to be going. In that relationship, we understand what the truth really is about ourselves and about God and about our life here on this earth. And in doing that, we begin to experience, because we're in relationship with Him, we begin to discover life. Life. And it has nothing to do with outward circumstances, as Job found, has nothing to do with our health issues, as Job found doesn't make any difference if we're well or sick. It doesn't make any difference if we're rich or poor because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And everything we need, we can draw from him directly. And he invites us into that kind of relationship. Do you want to know the truth about yourself? Jesus says, come, learn of me, and you'll discover who you are. And you won't find it anywhere else. It all looks right. It all sounds good. But it'll end in death, in despair and destruction. But if you come and walk with me, you'll understand the truth about yourself and about life and about eternity. And you'll get to know God. And life will be filled with meaning and purpose. won't be easy. Never promised it would be easy. But it will be full. And it will have meaning. It will be something worth living. And that life never ends. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that in this world that has so many ways, so many things that seem right, so many ways that sound innocent, but they all end in death and manipulation and destruction being used by someone or somebody except for the invitation that you give. And as we die to ourself and come to you, we begin to discover life in all of its fullness. Help us, Lord, as you set before us the way of life and the way of death. Move us, Lord. Change our hearts and our minds and draw us into the way that leads to life. Help us to know Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.